Hello everyone. I'm happy to welcome you to a podcast series launched by the United Nations Department of Peace Operations. My name is Naomi Miashta and I'm the head of the policy planning team at the Department of Peace Operations. Together with colleagues from the field, we will take you on a journey through different UN peacekeeping operations around the world. We will explore the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on our missions and on the countries they serve in. I'm very pleased to introduce our guest, Ms. Bintu Keita, the Special Representative of the Secretary General in the Democratic Republic of the Congo and Head of Mission of MONUSCO, the UN Stabilization Mission in the DRC. Ms. Keita has more than 30 years experience in peace, security, development, humanitarian affairs and human rights, working in conflict and post-conflict environments. She recently served as Assistant Secretary General for Africa and as the Assistant Secretary General for Peacekeeping Operations before that. During her illustrious career with the UN, SRSG Keita has also held different high-level positions in Darfur, Sierra Leone and Burundi. SRSG Keita, we are so excited to have you here with us today. It's a pleasure being with you. You experienced the pandemic, of course, first in New York and then since March, I believe, this year in the DRC. On a personal level, how did you cope? Uh, to start with, I think I just came back from Burundi, uh, where I traveled in February uh, 2020 came back, I think, around the 6th of February. And then for some reason, uh, beginning of March, exactly on the 3rd of March, and I will remember because this was the birthday of one of my brother, I felt sick, went uh, to uh, discuss with uh, uh, Caddy, or uh, at that time was my personal assistant, and she said, look, if you are sick, stay home. Um, and we were both like wondering, is this COVID or not COVID? And for a few weeks, I was very sick. And uh, when I managed to speak with a doctor, I was told this is certainly not COVID. So basically, for one month, I've been sick and it was not COVID. And uh, at the same time, I was uh, when I was ready to come back to the office, we were all stranded at home <laughs> because basically we were told uh, you now start working from home uh, because of the overall situation in New York. So somehow it was a big uh, blow in terms of uh, how do you manage uh, a team of the regional Africa structure from home um, and uh, you are not equipped uh, so you have to think about uh, buying a printer, you have to think about how do you scan, uh, and you have to think about how you make sure that you connect every single day, every single week, with uh, staff that are anxious, uh, some of them isolated, and some of them I was speaking with were like, uh, you know, we don't know when this is going to end. And every month we, will, we were told, okay, so it's going to be an additional month and an additional month. And at some point, I just felt, well, you know what? I will have to embrace that this is a new reality. And I started uh, uh, going uh, on travel uh, in uh, France first, and, and then to uh, different uh, uh, places in Africa, Burundi primarily, because we were uh, doing a strategic assessment mission, and also to uh, Uganda, because they were preparing for the election and so forth and so on, until now I was used and I was uh, joking and saying, 
okay, my nose has, uh, has been poked <laughs> so many times in terms of the PCR test that uh, I think uh, I was like to uh, 30 or 40 uh, PCR tests uh, uh, at some point uh, uh, before the end of the year. And uh, when I was asked to come to DRC, then I realized that uh, it was not enough because even in DRC, uh, moving uh, from Kinshasa to the provinces, I would have to have PCR tests. Uh, and uh, before coming back, having PCR tests. So basically, different people poking into my nose, uh, <laughs> back and forth. Uh, based on regulations from uh, one country to the next and uh, based on fear of uh, being a vector uh, to transmitting uh, through the contacts and the interactions with uh, with people of COVID, uh, COVID-19. I feel sorry for your nose. <laughs> <laughs> I guess then the, 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 the sort of following question is, how, how did the pandemic impact MONUSCO's mandate implementation and, and operations in broad terms? So let's say I've been lucky because my predecessor, uh, uh, Mrs. Leila Zerugi, and the leadership, the collective leadership, did a tremendous work, first of all, to protect uh, staff and staff well-being uh, with regard to COVID-19. So a lot has been done in terms of establishing a task force uh, for uh, an internal task force uh, for uh, managing COVID-19 in terms of the uh, measures and the uh, protocols uh, uh, provided by WHO uh, in order to ensure that we, the mission, uh, not becoming a vector of uh, uh, providing or disseminating uh, the disease uh, uh, through our interactions. Because as you can understand, all components in the mission have to interact at some point at various degree with our national counterpart, provincial counterpart, local counterpart, communities. So clearly there was a concern on us not being vectors to dissemination of the disease. So the impact on the mission, uh, just talking about the troops, has been in a certain way twofold. One, ensuring that we are not being a vector of uh, dissemination. And second, still continue to deliver the mandate. So with the adaptation in order to be able to deliver the mandate, there were different formulas in terms of how uh, we do protection of civilians, for instance, by uh, uh, projection through presence, projecting the, the force, uh, rapidly deployable battalion uh, being deployed, uh, lesser contact by embedding some of the community liaison assistance within the military to ensure that we will be keeping early warning, early response, and uh, not uh, mixing and mingling too much with the communities because we had the duty and the, uh, of care to protect the communities. And also, with regard to some of the impact on particularly the uniform uh, personnel, uh, was that uh, we had delayed rotations, and the delay of the rotations meant that uh, troops that normally would stay for six months and then rotate out were asked to remain much longer. And you can imagine that this has an impact on the morale, this uh, has an impact on the families back home, etc., etc. So all of this uh, has been managed by the mission. And again, as I said, I came this was already in place. 
So I can't take uh, credit for anything, just to, uh, to thank uh, uh, the staff uh, of MONUSCO and the agency's funds and program, and also the leadership of the mission at that time, who put everything in place as much as possible in order to still deliver the mandate and ensuring that uh, we had the best uh, protective measures uh, for the staff. your immediate um, priorities when you arrived? So a combination of uh, looking at uh, what I learned from uh, practices in headquarters and practices from uh, agencies, funds and programs, and also uh, looking at recommendations coming from the COVID task force uh, to be able to say, well, at some point we will return to mission headquarters. So we are now in mission headquarters for quite some time. Some people remained in uh, in UTEX, uh, the other part. And uh, we have uh, now looked into uh, tasking the task force to look at what additional measures would be necessary if we were to uh, increase the number of people uh, who are coming back to the office because some people are missing the interactions with other colleagues. Some people, I have to say, are very comfortable working from home. And I, this is something also I noticed uh, in New York. Um, so it depends on individuals, but some, some, somehow the team dynamics and building a team, you need to be able to interact, not just through virtual means, you need uh, from, from time to time in-person interaction. And virtual means doesn't replace human to human interaction. And this I'm more and more convinced. Uh, just to give you an example uh, on, on this, my first interaction with one of the political party was through virtual means. And um, it was not the same quality of engagement as when I went to Lumumbashi and was able to engage with the head of that particular political party, in this case, Moise Kamtumbi, in Lumumbashi. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd like us to move a little bit towards the impact that the uh, pandemic has had on uh, on the Congolese and sort of on the local and national and regional dynamics as well. Can you tell us a little bit what you've seen over the past few months in terms of how the Congolese people have understood and reacted to the pandemic? and any actions that the, the mission has taken in response to that? If you look at the majority of the population, besides the, a certain bubble uh, in Kinshasa, <laughs> and where you have most of the uh, health, uh, uh, a better health infrastructure than you have in uh, other parts of the, of the country, it looks like it's impossible, but really impossible, to believe that uh, COVID-19 exists, because if you look at just the transport system, you see buses full with people, not wearing masks, really crowded. You see taxis crowded. You see motorbikes with two, three people on the motorbikes with, uh, with uh, 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 luggages of all kinds. And you, you wonder, uh, you, you say, there is a miracle somewhere because if truly, truly 
besides the lack of testing and uh, uh, testing abilities to be able to say, okay, this is a number that we have, there is something about the continent, and I'm saying the continent because I've seen the same when I was traveling in other countries. Uh, some countries more serious about uh, uh, ensuring the measures than some others. But when we look at some of the measures uh, requested by WHO, it's just impossible to put into, into place. Uh, the markets, uh, the, uh, um, the transport, and even the houses uh, where you have to live with I don't know how many people under one roof uh, and you're asking to uh, physical distance, it's just not possible. So all in all, with the third wave or the fourth wave, there was a lot of anxiety, which has increased in the Congolese population, but mostly in town and mostly in Kinshasa than anywhere, anywhere else in remote uh, uh, places. And our role as the United Nations, and I always insisted not just the mission, was to increase awareness. And uh, this is what we've done. We've helped with the uh, contact tracing. We've helped with geolocalization of the contacts, etc. But all in all, even the vaccination campaign, which uh, was supposed to start uh, in April, AstraZeneca, we had millions of doses uh, for the Congolese that at some point the leadership of the country was not convinced that AstraZeneca was the best vaccine for them, for the country. So there was a decision to return a million of doses elsewhere out of the DRC. And uh, when the United Nations campaign came in, uh, same, we still have, we had more uniformed people uh, being vaccinated than uh, civilian staff. And among the civilian staff, lesser national staff being vaccinated than, uh, than others. So I'm, I'm talking about the national staff because you see, they are a reflection of what the community is saying in terms of AstraZeneca was not the best. They were thinking that this was dumped on them. They had no choice in terms of the vaccine and they didn't believe in first place that uh, this was uh, uh, something serious for them to consider. And the leadership of the country uh, wanted other type of vaccine, which is now available in the country. But just by an interaction I had with young people a few weeks ago, they are telling me that uh, there should be an increase in terms of the public awareness raising about the benefits of the vaccine, because the counter information or the misinformation or even uh, false uh, information about or the implication or the consequences of the uh, of the vaccines are just uh, horrendous. So a lot of efforts are still uh, ongoing, and the mission, wherever we are, are uh, participating in increasing awareness around the right information. And this is also done through our radio copy, which is uh, very important. Thank you so much, SRSG, for that uh, very uh, encouraging and very positive story, I guess, uh, unexpectedly positive one that can come out of this pandemic. Um, and just maybe something I forgot to mention in terms of the impact of uh, COVID-19 on the country was the closing of the schools. That was done, uh, but it impacted millions of children. And uh, uh, there was a creativity again by my predecessor and the collective leadership. They partnered uh, uh, the mission Radio Capi with 
uh, UNICEF and the Ministry of Education, and they were able to provide two hours for the primary school students um, uh, for, let's say, two hours per day for 27 million children wow. uh, of uh, uh, primary school. So, and now, based on this experience, and so these are the silver lining of COVID-19, we have just launched what we call Bana Okapi, which is a child of Radio Okapi, but just focusing on young people and children and young people. And again, this is a partnership between MONUSCO, UNICEF and UNOPS. how the pandemic impacted the political situation in the country, particularly political processes for peace, maybe at a regional level um, or at a sub-regional level as well. I have to say that uh, we had uh, good experience, like not so good experience, where um, uh, some of the uh, measures, and particularly the uh, this social distancing and uh, barriers, uh, protocol, COVID protocol, were observed or not observed, depending on which part of the uh, equation uh, or the national counterparts will be. Uh, some demonstrations were forbidden because of COVID-19. Some were let go <laughs> even under COVID-19. So it created some kind of uh, difficult relationship and tensions on which criteria were used when it was convenient to use COVID-19 as an excuse to impede demonstrations from political parties or position and rather facilitate uh, the ones from the, for the ruling party with no problem whatsoever about COVID-19. So you, you see the use of COVID-19 as a, like a, a tool Mm -hmm. uh, to become politician in the use of, of, of it. And we also seen some uh, uh, human rights uh, uh, violations uh, linked to COVID-19. Uh, COVID and I think uh, clearly one of the policy uh, brief, uh, the first one which was done uh, last year uh, by the Secretary General was looking into the use of COVID-19 as uh, excuses to impede some of the uh, participation and uh, uh, demonstrations, etc., et for uh, political processes. Now, with regard to electoral process in the context of the time which is coming, uh, so far I have not seen uh, COVID-19 being, being used as, uh, as a tool uh, because basically everyone is debating the, the debate sometimes is healthy, sometimes it's not healthy, uh, but the mission is clearly uh, engaged through the good officer's role uh, to uh, remind everyone that in the preparation of the 2023 election, we need to ensure that uh, we will have an environment, even with COVID-19, even with uh, a conflict-prone uh, Eastern DRC, it's going to be conducive and uh, with no, no, no violence and credibility and transparency uh, and uh, good preparation for acceptance of results of the uh, elections for 2023. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, uh, SRSG. Keita, I have one final question for you, and that is uh, if we take a, a bit of a step back, can you tell us what you think 
the UN has done well during this uh, pandemic period and something that you think we haven't done so well? I think from the onset, uh, the concerns were quite right. And the way from the SG to the leadership in headquarters and then engaging with the uh, uh, leadership in the mission, I think this was the right pick and pitch uh, in terms of attention. Then I believe that what didn't went uh, so well was the proliferation of communication from all kinds of corners, from WHO to, uh, uh, to, to, to various parts of the uh, Secretariat, and overwhelming, to be honest. Even when I was in New York, I felt this, so not to say to talk about the uh, failed mission. So that, for me, is something to look at. All with good intention, but uh, I think it was just too much. And uh, somehow, I feel that in the context of the next pandemic or whatever, even to learn the lesson from this one, is how do we manage and handle human resources in relation to policies and to ensure that we have fairness and uh, equitable manner to share the burden of the work uh, the workload from headquarters to the field. Because, as I said, I think as much as the duty of care was there and is there, we also have to deliver the work and we need everyone hands on deck. And uh, this has to be also so true. And I do believe that uh, taking the example of what has been done here with the uh, psychosocial support, this would have been good uh, if it was taken at that level in New York uh, at the time, at the onset of the uh, uh, pandemic. Well, thank you so much, Madame SRSG. This was a super rich, really informative, and very interesting insight into the pandemic and the DRC and how and MONUSCO and, and also your personal experience of it. So I thank you very, very much. Thank you.